that once we complete a certain degree or tenure of spirituality, then we have arrived. We're a Christian. What else is there to do? We uh, pay our tithes. We're faithful to church. We support the church. We support the pastor. We're involved. We're in leadership positions. We do this. We do that. What else is there to do? I'm here to tell us tonight, perhaps across the board, that we can love God more, we can love God better. There's no question about that. But I want to say tonight, there's a lot of people on the outside of this building that we've not loved yet. And the Bible teaches us that we should love them as we do ourselves. Amen. This is Bible. Everybody say amen. Jesus used, when he said love people, when he taught, taught us to love him, this is a continual process that never stops. The Bible teaches that spiritual growth is a continual process. Maturity, Christian maturity, is measured by demonstrative growth in our love for God and others. This shouldn't be new to you tonight. I've, I've, I've danced around this material this entire year, preparing for this moment. I've asked you to get up out of the pew and go meet people. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, I said, don't leave until you meet people you haven't met yet. I'm asking you to start intermingling with each other and meeting one another. I resent, I, I deeply resent this idea that, yeah, I go to, I, I think I've seen those people at church a time or two. Well, what are you here for? Is it just you? Just your family? Or you're the only one that's important? Is that the only one you're interested in? Maturity, maturity is measured by demonstrative growth in our love for God and others. And if we still have been in church for any length of time and we struggle at loving people, caring about people, then we haven't matured. I haven't matured the way I should have. I haven't grown to the extent that I should have grown. I'm not talking about completing a program or or it being the acquisition of a skill, but it's a continual expression of love in our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with others. If we love Him, it demonstrates and illustrates itself, and a byproduct of loving Him is loving others. It's Him and others. It flows through us and back to Him again. But somehow, as Pentecostal people, we have engineered this semi-biblical principle that we come to church and it's all about Him and we worship Him and it doesn't matter that we've had three or four families that's dropped out of this church in the past year that no one's asked about. You even know who they are? You called them? You tried to contact them? just about me and mine and my relationship with God to say spiritual maturity is a point in time that you arrive at is saying it's like saying physical fitness is a point in time you arrive at it's like saying that because we were once fit and we have a very good understanding of what it takes to stay in shape 
then you should always be in shape then because you were once in shape and you understand what it takes to be in shape, so you ought to be in shape, huh? Let's go run 20 miles. Who's, who's with me? You in shape? You know how to be in shape? Anybody getting the point? Know what I need to do. But knowing what I need to do and doing what I need to do is two adversely different things most of the time. And it is certainly applicable in our relationship with God. We all know that physical fitness is not something you achieve once and for all. There was a time, Brother Alex, when we'd go to church, I was in my mid-twenties, and we'd play three hours of full-court basketball two to three times a week and complain we wasn't in shape. My illustrious son, Marcus, who preached here this past Sunday morning, used to make fun of me when he was a teenager. Come on, Dad. Come on. You got something going on? He told me the other day, fellas in his church got together and pressured him to come play basketball at the ripe old age of 32, and he said he about passed out after five minutes. So uh, case in point is it doesn't matter how much you know about being in shape and eating the proper diet and working out and staying active and all of that. If you don't do it, then you're not going to stay in shape. Likewise, spiritual growth is meant to be a continual, never-stopping, never-ending pursuit of our relationship with God and with other people. So let's talk a little bit about loving our neighbor Look at your neighbor and say, I love my neighbor. If it's your spouse, it ought to be pretty easy to say. If it's not, I'll be happy to meet with you after church. Uh, but let's, let's, let's put loving our neighbor into two categories. This is where I want you all to listen. And this is, what Pente- this is where Pentecostals have missed it. I want us to put loving our neighbor into two categories. Number one, I want our neighbor to be considered those in the faith or those in church, those people we go to church with. That's your neighbor. But there's a second category, and this is where we've missed it. It's people outside the faith. I grew up in an environment where you wasn't encouraged to fellowship with sinners because if you do, you'll backslide. They'll drag you down. They'll drag you out. I want to approach that a little bit different tonight. Um, We're going to put loving our neighbor into two categories, and I'm going to come back to this. Those in the faith and those outside the faith. Okay. So let's review here for a moment. To To define spiritual maturity as continual process, it involves three, everybody say three, not two, but three, vital relationships. Your relationship with God your relationship with believers, and your relationship with unbelievers. If you do a very careful New Testament study of Scripture, it will reveal to you that you cannot separate the three. So if you only love God and hate your neighbor, you have a dysfunctional relationship with God.
So here at Grace, what do we want people to do? Let's say it this way. First of all, I want everyone that attends this church, I have a desire for everyone that attends this church to grow in their intimacy with God. Just get as close to God, get as much of God, get all of God you can. Number two is what I've been encouraging you to do lately is develop community or fellowship with fellow believers. Break out of your comfort zone. Man, you see your mama every day. Go see somebody else for a while. You know, take somebody else out to breakfast once in a while. I have taught this in times past that uh, on, on several occasions, Brother Lawrence and I have, have gone out to dinner. Our families went out to dinner one time. And uh, he picked up the tab. He gave me a real evil look. And with the size of him, I said, okay. But my way of repaying him is to call someone else two or three days later. Somebody maybe on the fringe area of our church. Somebody that may need some company or some fellowship and say, hey, let's go have lunch and I'll buy their dinner, Brother Lawrence. We need to break out of our, our cliques and our comfort level with, with our friends and so on and, and meet some new people and, and try to engage other people. But we need to develop community or fellowship with fellow believers. And that's why I've been asking you, go get to know people. Go know people. If, if I pointed to anyone in this building, we have a couple of guests here tonight, but, but otherwise, if I pointed out some people in this building and said, who is that right there? Would you know who they were? You want to take a test? If I called on you to tell me who so-and-so was over there, would you know him? I'm Brother Murphy, by the way. <clears throat> this is what I'm talking about. We, we have to learn to build community and fellowship with fellow believers. Number three, the third thing that I, would, I am really desirous of us to do is to learn how to influence unbelievers with the persuasion. You persuade people that this is what they need to do. You don't want to be like them. You don't want them to drag you to hell. You want to drag them to heaven. Not drag them to heaven, but get them excited about going to heaven. Influence them that the way you live and your relationship with God is premium lifestyle. Man, and you got to have what I've got. You've got to come see. You've got to come check it out, that kind of thing. Influence unbelievers. Okay, let's talk about these things a little bit. Let's talk about spiritual maturity. We teach here intimacy with God. The Bible records God's deep love and his passionate pursuit of all mankind. Uh, because he desires an intimate relationship with every one of us, I believe the mark of a maturing believer, if you have Christ in you, then you're continually pursuing an intimate relationship with Christ. After all, intimacy in any relationship doesn't just happen, does it? Somebody has to initiate it. If it, requires, it requires regular relational deposits. Imagine the state of a marriage where the husband or, nor wife put any time or attention in the relationship. It might be categorized as a lot of things, but intimacy is not one of them. Our relationship with God is no different. We teach, and I'm very passionate about people having an intimate relationship with God. 
our huge focal point on, on Sunday morning for the past number of Sunday mornings. Most of them, our focal point has been worship. Worship is intimacy with God. And an intimate relationship with Him is not something we arrive at. No more than you arrive at a place of intimacy in your marriage. It's something you have to work at. It's every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Uh, continual pursuit of, of relationships. So as we do, as we pursue intimacy with God, then we enjoy the benefits and we demonstrate the marks or the fruit of a maturing believer. Not only is spiritual maturity made up of intimacy with God, but it is also made up of community or fellowship with fellow believers. I taught last Wednesday night, God said, in the greatest moment, in my opinion, that he's had with mankind, there was no sin, no devil, none of that. In the Garden of Eden, he looked at Adam and said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he created another human being to be with him. That even God himself wasn't fulfilling enough company to Adam. He needed man. He needed human relationship. So I taught that last Wednesday night. Recognizing people's need for meaningful connections and the reality that sustained life changes takes place best in the context of intentional relationship. Now, when I ask you to get to know one another, this is what typically we do. Hi, I'm Pastor Mike. Melanie, pleased to meet you. I'm glad you're here tonight. Hi, I'm Pastor Murphy. Hi, Michelle. Glad you came tonight. I know their name, Pastor. I just met them. I told them I was glad they were here. That's great. That's being friendly. But I'm talking about intentional relationships. People you zero in on. People that you discern and feel. They need fellowship, man. They need friendship. You may not need it. You may not need it. You may not need it. But they do. Jesus didn't need redemption when he died on the cross. Do we understand that? He didn't need it. We did. So if we want to be like him, you break out of this old traditional religious Pentecostal whatever mindset. Oh, I'm just here for Jesus. I just love Jesus. I don't know that lady right there. I, I see her at church once in a while. I don't know anything about her or whatever. This is what I'm trying to, to break for us to break through. Why don't you try, hey, I've seen you guys at visiting our church for the past several weeks. Why don't we get together one night? We'll get together and have dinner, whatever. Most people would be open to that kind of thing. They might be a little standoffish because they don't know you and they don't know your motives. But when you begin to show them the love of Christ and that you're not trying to rip them off and you're not trying to bribe them for a loan and you're not looking for a free babysitter and you're not looking for somebody to give your dog to when you're just being nice you're just being nice and there's no ulterior motives behind this stuff man I just want to be nice people are open to that we live in a lonely world I proved that last Wednesday night you'll go back and listen to the to, to the a webcast on it. You'll see. Statistics are startling here in North America. People are lonely out of their mind. And we're supposed to have the best thing going. 
We need to understand the concept of intentional relationships. I see that couple sitting over there. I see that man sitting over there. I see that lady sitting over there. I'm going to make it a point to warm up to them, to befriend them, see if they'll go to lunch with me after church this Sunday, to see if I can have them over to my house, to see if we can go out and eat, go shopping, go do something, man. But show them through you the love of Christ. It's not just shaking their hand and telling them your name. You're just another face in the crowd to them. But when you pursue them through Christian love and Christian uh, motives and Christian desires, you can make an impact on the lives of people. It is human propensity to drift. We drift away from these things. We, we kind of get caught up in our own world and what have you. But we can never forget to understand Christian principles of mutual encouragement and mutual accountability. Let me read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to you. Uh, we, we've all heard this one way, but let me, let me talk about it. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, challenge people to do the right thing, provoke them to do it, the Bible says. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. This has been taught for years, that this is be faithful to the house of God, and it can be applied that way. But there's a deeper meaning and a deep, deeper undercurrent to that scripture than that. People need you, man. They need you in their life. They need your encouragement. They need your inspiration. God said it is not good that man should be alone. Let me preach here for a minute. We need to quit being selfish with who we are and what we can do and what we can accomplish in the lives of people, but to give yourself away. <clears throat> One translation said of verse 25, not for saying these things have together. One translation said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as a habit of some is. Because the Bible says we need one another. We need one another. We need one another. Maturing believers, maturing believers are people who are growing in community with other believers, spending time together encouraging one another and supporting one another. The third thing that I mentioned is the influence of, in the lives of unbelievers because God has invited us to partner with him in the process of evangelism here at Grace. I'm asking you to prioritize relationships with your unbelieving friends and family for the purpose of winning them to Christ. Let's call it our invest and invite strategy. Invest and invite. I would like to encourage you to invest in the lives of your unbelieving friends and family and invite them at the appropriate time to one of our relevant services so they can be inspired to engage their relationship with Christ. Here at Grace, 
whether you're 8 years old or 80 years old, a spiritually developing person looks the same. That person is not someone who has completed a plan or a curriculum that now says they're a Christian. He or she is not someone who has acquired more truth, but a maturing believer is someone who is continuing to grow in these three distinct relationships that the New Testament teaches very adamantly, including, and first and foremost, Jesus himself. You love God first, you fellowship with one another, and you influence the people that do not believe. Three relationships. God, those in faith, and those who are not in faith. Three relationships. Three relationships. A mature child of God understands all three and engages all three as a lifestyle. So, church member here at Grace, when people start coming to our church, what do you want them to become? Well, I want them to grow in their relationship with God. I think that's reasonable. What do we want people to do? We want people to begin to pursue these three vital relationships, intimacy with God, community with fellow believers, and influence with that belief. Let me illustrate here quickly. For the past number of years, far back as I can remember, the Houston Astros, Major League Baseball, has on occasions been the pride of Houston, Texas. Obviously, when they do good, when they make the postseason, Houston's proud. Otherwise, they're pretty boring. But every spring, the Houston Astros show up to training camp, and these guys show up with one thing on their mind, and that is they want to make it to postseason play. From the front office to the bat boys, from the coaches to the players, everybody's goals are the same. It's not enough for them just to play ball and to take home a paycheck. Anyone on the Houston Astros baseball team will tell you that success for them is when they win a World Series. I want you to notice something. I'm going to come back to that. I want you to notice intentionally listen to pastor. Intentionally or by default, people are going to end up somewhere spiritually. Look at your neighbor and say the man is right. One way or another, people are going to arrive at some spiritual attitude or bent about the kingdom. The question is, will it be where they need to be based on kingdom concepts and principles? Let me ask you a very personal question. If the next new member of grace ended up like you, and your relationship with God, your relationship with other believers, and your relationship with unbelievers, would that make you happy? They're just like me. I don't see any head nodding, so I assume, outside the couple that's sleeping, uh, I assume that we have greater goals for people who attend grace that even go past who is what we are. Folks, I'm pouring my heart out to you tonight. I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm working on myself continually. 
been through all of that, and I'm going to give him to her. Answering the question, where do you want people to go in their relationship with God, will give us an opportunity to clarify what is our win. When you show up to church on Sunday morning, what is winning to you? What does, will God want today? What does that mean to you? When Houston Astros show up at training camp, they want to go all the way. They want to win the World Series. They want to win it all. Coach Les Miles started early. He started two or three years ago planning for this season. Going to win it all. They still have plans on winning it all. They have one more game. If they win that one, they've won it all. That's their goal. Are you all with me? When we show up here at Grace, and we go through 45 minutes of Sunday school, and then the second service starts at 11, and we're normally out about 12.30, something like that. When church is over and you're walking out the door, did you win? Did God win? Did everything that God did here today, was that a win for you? If it's not, does it bother you? If it is, what do you define as win? What do you think win means? I want to say to Grace, in beginning in 2012, we've got to answer that question. Our care group leaders, we've got to answer that question. What does winning mean to you? Sister Ron, I was going to wait for Sunday to do this, but it just fits right here. I'm very happy to announce that Sister Ron is our new Sunday school administrator. And I'm so happy about that, I can't hardly stand myself. But I want to ask her, what does winning mean to you when it comes to church? When the praise team gets up here and you sing, what does winning mean to you? We cannot exist as a church anymore Beginning 2012, God helped me with all of my might. Brother Dave helped me. Brother Merrill helped me. I'm asking for help here tonight. We have to define what win is here at Grace, what winning is here at Grace. We can't continue to exist as a church without a clear answer to that question. I dare say that most churches, most UPC churches, don't know the answer to that question. Let's use the Little League baseball analogy. Some churches are like little league batters. If they just hit the ball anywhere, it don't matter. If they just hit the ball. I remember Casey and Chris used to coach and be a scorekeeper or something for some little league break teams. And we went out a couple of times and watched them. Little kids are so cute, man, that the coach would just almost hand them the ball right in front of the bat. And they swing, and it, as long as they hear that ding, they throw the bat down sometimes, and they just run. They're not even running to first base. They don't know where they're going. I watched one little kid end up way out in the middle of center field, and the coach is hollering, hey, come back. He's just running. A lot of churches are like little league batters. We've been one, and we're going we're, we're, we're to be more intentional in the future you'll see if they just hit the ball anywhere they get excited and they feel good about what they've done it doesn't really matter if they get on base or or if what they do gets them where they want to go it don't matter i just hit the ball that's all that matters i just hit it they're trying to hit the ball somewhere they're not thinking about home plate 
and they're not thinking about anything that's required to get to home plate. Watch. Unfortunately, churches have a reputation for doing ministry without an end or a win in mind. They build as many programs as possible to reach as many people as possible. They start new ministries as possible to start targeting as many people as possible. And it all feels right, and it is right, and it makes sense, and it is good sense things to do. And, but is there a strategy to get people to home plate? I've talked to our Sunday school teachers, for example. I talked to Sister Rana for several hours at the house the other night uh, about taking over our Sunday school department. And what do we want to do? When, when a child comes out of Sister Melanie's class and promotes up uh, to Sister Bonnie's class, I think it is, what do we want that kid to know? What do we want them to be? And when they go to Sister Bonnie's class and promote out of that one uh, to Sister Nancy's class, whatever the order is, what do we want them to be when they come out of that class? And when they go into the youth group, what do we want them to be? Do we want illiterate Pentecostals, much as that are sitting on this pew tonight, that can't tell me how many books are in the Bible? You can't name them? You don't know what John 3.16 says? Oh, I have the Holy Ghost. I've been baptized. I know what it takes to keep in shape, but we're not in shape. How are we getting people to home plate? How are we... What do we consider successful? Think about it. Has Pentecost been successful in your life? Has it? Those of you that's attended Grace for any length of time, has, has it been, do you feel like it's been worth it? Has it built? feel like you've grown? I mean, have you gone from home plate to first? Do you know you don't slide in at first? You can overrun first. New converts overrun a lot of stuff. You can overrun first. You know that? You ever hear of double plays? When you finally make it to second and the batter behind you hits a ball not adequately hit and you get thrown out at first and you wasn't even the one batting. Think about it. A lot of analogy I could use here tonight that makes sense that some of you and most of you would understand. Typically and traditionally here at Grace, when people come to this church on Sunday morning, one of our approaches to connect them to God, to connect them to us, connect them to the Word of God, is they go to a very functional Sunday school department. In my opinion, it's very functional. Amy Raspberry threw out a test to her class several Sundays ago, and I was impressed. I asked you some of the questions that she was asking her class, and they answered them. And some of us couldn't. We're still just hitting the ball. <laughs> Pastor, <laughs> I hit the ball. You don't know you're supposed to run to first. But it's where people of all ages can go to class and learn the Bible, and it's a good method to connect with the Word, to connect with the Word of God, and to connect with people. We try to improving on gifting and serving. We like to build a service team here. We want people to move in the direction of a ministry or a service that they feel a burden or passion for. I believe God has gifted each person uniquely with a spiritual gift, and we want you to use your gifting for the kingdom. This can also be a pathway to help build community, and we're working hard at that here at Grace. We also teach doctrine. We teach Bible-based concepts and principles. We teach the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and prophecy and holiness and so on. But Grace needs more. We're not a complete church yet. 
We're not complete. There's something else we need. Our win. Our win word. W-I-N. Our win word. And it's, it's convicting me out of my mind. And I can't hardly stand it sometimes. But our win word, I believe when we win, is when we are consistent and successful in evangelism and discipleship. That's what we're missing. It bothers me that we don't have five, ten people receive the Holy Ghost every Sunday morning. It bothers me that we're not baptizing 20 people every Sunday afternoon. It bothers me. Does it bother you? Oh, wait, we're getting what we need. We really don't care about anyone else, do we? One of our goals for 2012 is from children to adults, we want everyone to be a willing, productive participant in our care group. We want to send a consistent message about something I passionately believe in. We must establish that the best place for sustained life change to occur is within intentional relationships. People, you mean to be here. People I made an effort to fellowship with. People I initiated a phone call with, it's intentional. I meant to do it. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't coincidence. Take it even out of the arena of the God thing, if you will. Oh, God, put us together. Why don't you give, quit waiting on all that stuff and say, I see this, this new person at church. I'm going to put a big old red target on their forehead. They're going to meet me before this church service is over with, and they're not going to forget me either. Huh? Maybe we ought to do that. Ask our guests when they come, our new families when they come, can we put a big red dot on your forehead so everybody will notice that you're different and that you're new and that everybody needs to go meet you? Can we, do, can we try something like that and see if they'll do that? How about if we put a red dot on our forehead and because they don't have one, it would show that they are new and they need somebody. It occurred to me the other day, folks. There's at least... Four families that came to this church in excess of three Sundays in a row this year. And they're not here anymore. Went through my fingers, man. This week, just a light came on. I've been talking to some people in our church. We've got to stop that, man. When people miss two or three Sundays, I want to know who they are. I want their phone number. I want to call them. Somebody told me just last night that there was a, a man that was an older traditional church years ago, but uh, a man came, and he came to Sunday school, and came to morning worship, came back Sunday night, came back Wednesday night, back in the old days. And one Sunday he left after, after Sunday school. When, Sunday, when church was over, when morning worship was over, his pastor drove to his house and said, come get in the car, and rode him around for an hour and said, you know, I can see a lot of people doing that, but you're not one of them, and I don't want to stop you. He immediately knew that the man had left. If you could be a fly on the wall of our car when Sister Murphy and I was going home after church on Sunday, we wonder where so-and-so was, and we wonder where so-and-so was, and I wonder where so-and-so was. You're missed when you're not here. But if you've attended here, and I didn't call you, after you missed several Sundays, I'm sorry. We're trying to be we can't let people, people are too hard to come by, man. We don't want people to feel broken and sick. 
there's someone here tonight that 10 years ago at this church literally said, Jesus, the fellowship is too much. I'm so lonely. I'm bringing trouble to you. There's things that I take to my prayer closet that you folks will hardly ever know. And I weep and sob and cry and I sometimes feel like a failure. I have terrible people skills and I know it and I fight it every day. I'm rude. I'm brash. I'm not super duper friendly. I wish I was one of these guys that bounced off the walls all the time and smile like Jack Benny, whoever that is, and, and just happy all the time and whatever. I ain't one of them people. But I try my best, man. But I want to tell that person that's here tonight, it's changing. That sweet family was at my house the other night. Trying to fellowship. I want you to feel a part. Folks, we got to do better. I need people in this church. I need help. Brother Brian, Brother Jason, Brother Dave, Brother Merrill, I need help. Y'all help me build a buttport. Where we can have people come and they may not feel a part and they may not feel a connect to the big group. There might be 12, 15 people meeting during the week that they can go to your house and eat a few chips and drink a cold drink with you and feel apart. We need to develop the definition of the word win. When we come to church, what do we think is winning? And I'm going to tell you as awesome as church has been, Brother Lawrence, if I could say in all due respect, a couple Sunday mornings ago when you ran down in front of the building just to listen to you, I don't have any idea what that was about. I have longed for that moment virtually all of my ministry lifetime is when people would just get out in the aisle like that and fall at the feet of Jesus and just worship. Two or three young people laid out on the floor speaking in tongues, crying to each other. A couple other young people running the aisle I'm happy about that when we hit the ball real hard and we get to first, second, third base. But we're not winning until we reach an understanding. We're not winning. The devil's winning. The devil's winning. There's church, there's people that have come to our family night outside. Stand with me tonight on this. There's people that have come to family night outside. I've instructed our pastoral staff that when you come to family night outside in fall and spring, you don't go eat. You wait. And you go visit. You, you mingle and you work the people. Work them, man. Work them. But what's real disappointing and real upsetting is when you find out a month or two after the fact yeah, so-and-so came to church. They came to family night outside. But they just started going to another church across town. They didn't find what they was looking for. Yet we got to tell them that. Our definition of winning is when we see outside unbelieving people come into this church and their lives are rejo rejuvenated. They're born again. They're given hope of a destiny forever. And until that happens at Grace, we're not winning. So I want us to 
dismissed tonight is a whole lot different than what we normally do, and I've gone five minutes over, but I'm just going to ask you to get over it. You need to go today. I want to ask our four prayer group leaders to come stand around here in front of the, the building. You guys come up here if you would. We've met several times. I believe these guys are in for it tonight. They're, they're our care group leaders. Brother Brian, Brother Jason's going to sing, teach one. And uh, Brother Merrill and Brother Dave's going to teach one. We're going to see how this goes for two or three months. Huge evaluation, huge grading. Those of you that are going to be a part of it, we want you to pour yourself into it. This is the seed. This is the beginning. We're calling them care groups. And right now, it's to market our church to ourselves. We want to start building chemistry and relationships and fellowship and so on amongst ourselves. But we're going to ride that for a while. But when that's done, then it's going to become evangelism. And we can turn our community upside down, man, because people will go with you to a little care group at someone's house before they'll come. And this is the most book of Acts thing we can do that we don't do. We repent, we baptize in Jesus' name, we get the filling of the Holy Ghost, have miracles, signs, wonders. I hear two little babies crying here tonight, Gabriel and Gabriella. Miracles. Mama, miracles. Okay, that's book of Acts. And we can shout and dance, and rightfully so. But until we start evangelizing our community, we're not winning. You guys come... Right here, if you would, I'm going to ask everybody in the building to come stand behind them. And I want you to pray passionately and fervently with us that God can use this tool, this mechanism, this vision, that we can engage it. We can engage it passionately. We can engage it with all of our heart. There's people here tonight that uh, we have in mind to be future care group leaders. Teachers, to facilitate them, you're going to be called on. I hope you say yes. But if we can grab a hold of this concept, we can use this medium to evangelize our community. The Bible said going from house to house, not to gossip, not to be judgmental, not to ridicule, none of those kind of things, but to believe in one another, to support one another, to pray for one another, to learn together, to fellowship together, to bind together, to develop a chemistry, to build a love and an appreciation for one another. You fellas, you, you folks come up and put your hand on one of their shoulders. Let's pray right now and ask God to anoint them, to anoint this effort, that the Holy Ghost would anoint and inspire them in Jesus.
some praise. Let's give the Lord some praise. Praise God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. God bless you. What a moment. Just feel the Spirit of the Lord uh, working here tremendously. I believe God has had us on His radar for a long time. He's had this church on His radar for a long time. And I want to see the Spirit of the Lord work, the hand of God manifest. Thank the Lord. Praise God. Before you run away and go out the door, you know what to do. If there's someone here and you haven't talked to them in a while, why don't you go and just tell that person, hey, man, I love you. Let's connect sometimes. Why don't you make a lunch appointment with somebody before you leave here tonight? Just see what happens. Try it and see what happens. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.